You know, today is also uh, April Fool's Day, so that reminds me of a of a story. There's a there's a guy. Oh. <laughs> there's a, a guy that was uh, looked out his backyard, and here came his dog running up to the, the the back porch with the neighbor's beloved rabbit in his mouth. Okay, and he is oh, he's mortified. He knows how much they love this rabbit, and he just knows that they're going to hate him, and they're never going to forgive him for this. So he's thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And he thought, I'm just going to cover over the whole thing. So he, he, he washed the, the rabbit up, gave it a bath, and then snuck back over to the rabbit hutch, put it back in, closed the door, and came, and came back. And, and then a few hours later, he saw all the neighbors. He saw the neighbors gathering around that, uh, the, the hutch, and he came up pretending like he had, you know, didn't have any idea what was going on. He said, said what's, you know, what's up? And he said, said, this is the craziest thing. He said, three days ago, we, our, our rabbit died, and we buried Fluffy. And then all of a sudden, some sicko, you know, brought him back up, shampooed him, and put him back in the hutch, right? And so, Fluffy may not have had a real resurrection, but Jesus, Jesus did. And you know, one thing we know about, uh, about April Fools is we try to fool people, we try to, try to prank people. And there was a, uh, incredible prank that there's these two guys that they prank all the time. And I mean, they, they do epic pranks to, to each other. And one of them had it set up with an entire stadium full of people, an arena full of people. Uh, and, and his friend thought he had just been pulled out of the, out of a hat to take Take a half court shot uh, for half a million dollars, and it was going to be blindfold and everything. But everybody else except for him is set up for this. Now, remember, he's thinking he's making a hundred—I mean, five five hundred thousand dollars—if he makes this shot. And watch what happens. <laughs> he has no idea. He missed by twenty feet. million dollars he is sure that this is his imagine the joy and I think that is a good picture of what Satan must have felt like on Good Friday he thought for sure he had won right he thought for sure he had defeated God he knew that from the from the very beginning from the time he was thrown out of heaven he knew that there was going to be a time when there was the Messiah would come and and uh, Genesis 3:15 said he would crush the serpent's head so he knew this Messiah was coming and he knew the Messiah was going to set God's people free so he was going to do everything he could to kill the Messiah before he could hurt him. And so that's exactly what he tried to do throughout Jesus' life. When Jesus was a baby, he tried to have Herod kill him as a, as a baby. When he was a, a, first started out his ministry, he tried to tempt him and, uh, so to, to follow him instead of follow God's plan. And, and he, had, he had Judas betrayed Jesus. He also had the, the religious leaders and the Jews hang Jesus on a cross. And he thought for sure when he had killed Jesus, when they had killed Jesus, that he had killed God. God's plan for the Messiah. And when Jesus breathed his last, Satan breathed a sigh of relief because he thought for sure he had won. And I mean, there must have been high fives in heaven. There must have been celebrating it, celebration in, in incredible things on there because he thought for sure he had defeated God's only son and God's plan. Now, while, he, they, while heaven or hell was celebrating, uh, Jesus' disciples must have been absolutely dismayed. 
because you think about it, put yourself in their sandals. How would you be feeling? How would you be feeling if you had followed somebody for three years, absolutely convinced that he was the Messiah, that he was God's chosen one? You were so convinced of it, you left everything and everybody. You left your home, you left your family, you left your job, and you'd seen him do things that nobody else could do. You saw him heal the sick, you saw him raise the dead, you saw him turn water into wine, you saw him take a little boy's happy meal and turn it into a meal for thousands and thousands of people. You were convinced he was the Messiah. But then Jesus was arrested. And you're still thinking, you know, if this guy can, can you know, calm, calm the storm, he can certainly get himself unarrested, right? But then he's, he's nailed to a cross. And even then you're thinking something's going to happen. Have you ever been pulling for a team, a, 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 your favorite team? And you, there's, there's that moment, there's that moment of hope still. I mean, your team's losing, your team's that. And you're just hoping that the other team doesn't kick the field goal. You know, the, the, the little pot shot field goal. Or maybe you're just hoping that your guy, your guy makes the, the Hail Mary pass at the last second. Whatever it is. But then you're hoping, you're hoping, you're hoping. And then it doesn't happen the way you want it to happen in the... The referee says, game over. And that's what they must have been feeling when they saw him give up his ghost. And then they, when they, especially when they put a, a spear in his side just for, for, for a parting love gift. And then they put him in a tomb with a, with a seal on the top. I mean, maybe it wasn't just over. It was over, over, over. And they were, they were dismayed. And listen to what one person said. One of the disciples said, said this. He said, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Notice the tense of the hope. It's in the past. It's past tense. Hope is in the past tense. The dreams are in the past tense. The hope of everything they were, that was going to happen was in the past tense. So what was in the present tense? I'll tell you one thing I guarantee you was in the present tense was fear. They were absolutely convinced that the very people that, that killed their, 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 their savior was the one who was going to kill them as well. I want you to think about that. They were afraid for their life. They were sure that they were being hunted down to be, to be killed. Not only that, was, it was in the, the present tense, but you also had, had heartbreak was in the present tense for them. How about this confusion had to be big time in the present tense? Because they had to be wondering, what in the world? Okay, he, was he even the Messiah? He couldn't have been the Messiah because Messiahs aren't supposed to die, right? So everything, all the, so many negative feelings, they had disillusionment and disappointment and discouragement and they were just dissed. That's all you can think about. They were just, they were just dissed. And so, so in the midst of all these things that were, that were happening, I want you to think about this too. There's people in here that maybe you can relate to exactly what was going on there. Maybe you're feeling like your hope uh, is, is not in the present tense anymore. And maybe in an area of your life, maybe just a, a circumstance that's going on. And maybe, maybe some dreams have, uh, have, have, have died and, um, and maybe you're in the grave right now for, for you. Maybe some things that are in the present tense for you is fear. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're scared about something that's, that's happened or, or going to happen in, in your life. Or maybe there's, there's just heartbreak. Maybe you know exactly what the, the disciples are talking about when they're, when they're disillusioned or disappointed or discouraged or anything like that. What's going on there? Because if you can relate to that, God's got a message for you. 
Because this, while, while, while hell was celebrating and while the disciples were absolutely dismayed, what was God doing in all this? I think God was uh, absolutely convinced and knowing that he had pulled off the greatest prank in history. And here it is. This is what the Bible says. He had just been laid in a tomb. And here's Matthew. That's Matthew 27. And uh, here's Matthew 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. Don't miss this, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee. There they will, will see me. Think back to that first video. And here's the thing. The, the guy was thinking he was just doing his own thing and everything, but he did not realize that every step he was taking was orchestrated by his friend who was pulling the prank, right? He thought that he had just been pulled out of a hat to, to be the one that goes and shoots the, shoots the half-court shot. He, as he was going down there, he thought every decision was his own decision. What he did not realize was everything that he was doing was falling perfectly into the plan of his friend that was playing the, playing the prank. In the same way, Satan thought for sure he was, he was foiling God by every decision he was making. That he thought when he had made Judas betray him, he thought he was falling, that, that, that everything was working according to Satan's plan. And when he was crucified, he thought everything was doing it according to his plan. He did not even know that every decision that he was making was falling perfectly into God's plan that he had set up, the Bible says, before the foundation of the, of the world. I mean, God pulled this up. So in other words, Jesus wasn't on the cross because the, the the, the Roman uh, legions put him on there. He was on the cross because he had made that decision to die for humanity. That it wasn't the nails that put him there. It was his love for you and me that kept him there. And then, then also in, in that, um, you go back to, to that basketball video. He thinks he had won $500,000. And he's celebrating. Now watch what happens when his friend, he doesn't realize it's his friend, comes up with the, the, the supposed check for half a million dollars. Watch his reaction when he realizes it's his friend and the whole thing is a fake. That's his friend coming up with it. I wonder if that's how Satan felt on Easter Sunday morning. He thought for sure he had won. He thought for sure. And all of a sudden, I, I don't know about you, and this may be crazy, but I, I just almost picture Satan calling up Grave. Man, Grave had never, death had never lost anybody except Lazarus for a little while, you know, and things. But he had him, he had, he had uh, Jesus held with everything he had. And I bet Satan called up sometimes and said, man, is he still dead? Oh, yeah, well, of course he's dead. Man, I got him. I've got him. And then called him back up. Are you sure? sure he's dead. Oh man, he is so dead. And 
Wait a second, man. Wait a second. There's a light. There's a light. The, 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 the stone is rolling away and, and he's alive, right? I mean, picture that. And then all of a sudden he realizes he is not, he is lost. He is lost. He is lost. He is lost. And you guys, that changes absolutely Everything. In fact, Larry, uh, Larry King was asked if he could interview anybody from, hist- from history, who would he interview? And he said without hesitation, he said this, I would interview Jesus Christ. And he said, what would you ask him? He said, I'd ask him about his virgin birth and I'd ask him about his resurrection. And he said, why would you ask him that? Because if he truly is the son of God and if he truly rose from the dead, then that changes everything. And you guys, if he, he is the Son of God and He rose from the dead, and y'all, that changes absolutely everything. Here's some of the things that it means. First, it means that death is defeated. You know, next service, we're going to sing the song, uh, Christ the Lord is risen today. And there's one of the verses in there that says, lives again our glorious King. Uh, where, O oh, death, is now thy sting. And that comes straight from, from uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is, uh, is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. We and our loved ones, we still face death, but death has lost its sting. It's kind of like the little, little girl, true story, that's in a, a boat with her, her, her dad. And there's a bee that starts flying around. They're fishing. The bee starts flying around. And it's terrorizing the little girl. So finally, the, the man had had enough. The dad had had enough. And he reaches out and he grabs the bee with his hand. And then he lets it go. And he said this. He said, honey, you don't have to be afraid of this bee anymore because daddy's taking its sting for you. And Jesus is looking at us and says, you don't have to be afraid of death anymore because I've taken its sting for you. And he reaches out his nail-scarred hands and he shows that death has lost its sting. We still face death, but it's lost its sting. The other thing is Jesus can be trusted. Remember when we said that, that he's risen just as he said. I don't know about you. If some guy tells me that he's going to be crucified and three days later he's going to be bopping around and he pulls that off, I'm going to listen to anything else that man has to say. He can be trusted. If he can pull that off, anything that Jesus says, he can be trusted with. Another thing is, is now we have hope. As Christians, here's the thing that we realize about what Easter tells us is we always have hope. No, how, no matter how bad our good, our good Friday is, no matter how dark it is on Friday, we always have a resurrection. No matter how bad it is on, on, on Good Friday, there is always hope. There is always an empty tomb behind a crucifixion for the Christian. No matter how bad it is for you or for your loved one, we always have hope. And here's a big one too is... God is in control even when it doesn't seem like God is in control. And there's times in life where we look out at the world and it doesn't, sometimes it just doesn't seem like God's in control. And then we, sometimes we look at our own life and it does not seem like God is in control. And I was sitting there with, uh, with a couple of other guys the other, the other day and we had all been through a pretty rough time, a season of life. But what was amazing is we're all looking back on that and we're realizing, whoa, whoa, whoa. God was here and here and here and here and here and here. And I didn't realize it. God was working, just like he said, all things together for good, even when I wasn't seeing it. It seemed like God was out to lunch. It seemed like God didn't care. And God was orchestrating all that stuff behind the scenes when I didn't even know he was doing that. 
you know, uh, I grew up, uh, I didn't have my grandparents. My grandparents, all of them died. My parents had me at a really later stage in life. And all my parents, grandparents had died before I was born, except for one. And I think I was like one month old when they died. Uh, but but it, uh, God gave me some surrogate grandparents next door. We, I, we called them Papo and Mamo. And they were amazing. They were fantastic. Mamo was amazing at something. She was the best I've ever seen. She was a master gardener. She had over 1,100 rose bushes, if you can imagine that. And it was a full-time job for her in the summertime. And she won every garden award for the region and for the state every single year. She won the Heisman Trophy every year that I saw. Her wall you know, was just emblazoned with, with ribbons. What was her secret? I'll tell you one of her secrets. It was manure and compost. Okay, every year we had to uh, go out and go to a a cow farm, or, you know, and and we had to shovel manure into pickup truck after pickup truck, and we put it there. And then she would have a compost pile that all the all the food garbage that they'd have for a whole year, they just throw it in there. And I'm telling you what, running from from our house to Papo's house. Woo, right? And, every, and once a year, we would lay out the manure and we'd put out the compost. And for a while, it was the stinkiest place I've ever seen in my life. But then later on in the summer, oh, baby, it was beautiful. See, she, this master gardener knew that they would, she would take that garbage and she would take, let's call it, the manure, right? And she could make beautiful things, incredible things come out of that. If Mamo can do that, do you think God can do the same thing? And he can take the stinky junk in your life and my life. And he can take the manure in our life and he can make good come out of that. That is actually even better afterwards. And it may stink at the time, but God can make beauty come from, from ashes. And here's one person in our, in our church. that the, the day before I was writing this, this message, there was, uh, I, I read a, an email from a young lady who had talked about how she and her husband had just gone through an extremely difficult season of life. A really really, really tough season of life, but she basically saw that God brought, let hope out of despair. And here's her story. Here's her reading the letter she wrote to me, the second part of it. I have never in my life felt so reliant on God and so eager to hear his voice. These two and a half years have been the hardest time of my life. Most of the time I was praying and praising Him from my knees with a soul too weak to speak. I had to teach my soul to praise Him when I was completely, devastatingly broken. I would sing words like, it is well with my soul, while my soul was screaming out in pain. I would tell God that I believed, but please help my unbelief. I know now that what I was learning to do was to mourn to God. I had to give Him anything that I had, even if all I had was pain or anger, because He was and is the only one who could save me. Since going through this, I have had instances where things happen unexplainably, and I just know that it's God. My husband has felt a closeness to God that he never has before. God has used this time when all we could do was look to Him to change our focus and perspective. He needed to wipe away our shaky foundations and begin to build a new one based on trust in Him. 
Being broken to your core is possibly the worst thing in this life. The point is that God can take an absolutely terrible situation and use it to build a foundation in you and your family that never could have been there had that situation not happened. God has given us a promise in his word that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And God can take the manure in our life and he can make something beautiful out of it. Something else is we serve a God with resurrection power. I don't know what's dead or dying in your life. It could be a marriage. It could be a relationship. It could be a career. It could be a job situation. It could be a dream. But here's the thing that that we learn at Easter is it's always too early to give up with Jesus Christ. That God can bring whatever is dead and he can make it alive. And I really feel like a couple days ago as I was praying for this and I was doing this, it really felt like God was saying there are going to be relationships that people in this room and people that are watching thought were dead that are going to be made alive. And there are dreams that he is resurrecting some dreams in your life. And maybe there's a dream that you've had down there for years. And God is going to resurrect dreams that you've had in your heart that have been dead for quite some time. And I think he's going to raise them back to to life again. Another thing is our destiny can be changed because Jesus fulfilled his destiny. Our eternal destiny can change because of that. You know, for the non-Christian, this world is the best it's ever going to be. It's the best it's, it's ever going to be. But for the non-Christian, this is the worst. For the Christian, this is the worst it's ever going to be. It's going to be better and better and better. And we have a hope, an eternal hope, because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of a resurrection. We have a hope that someday that we're going to go to a place that is, uh, there is no more fear, no more tears, no more sorrows, no more pain, no more crying, no more heartache, no more any of those things. For the, for the former things have, have gone away, the Bible tells us. And also that, but I thank God that because of he fulfilled his destiny, he's going to fulfill my destiny and he's going to fulfill your destiny too. That no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck him from your hand or pluck him, uh, you from, from his design for your, for your life. And finally is, is this, we serve a God of new beginnings. If there was ever a person that needed a new beginning, it was Peter. You think about him. He, uh, he told Jesus that no matter what anybody else did, that he was going to stand with Jesus. He promised Jesus that no matter what the others did, that he was gonna, would never deny him. And when Jesus needed him most, he ran away with all the other disciples. Not only that, but not once, not twice, but three times he pretended he didn't even know who Jesus was. And then he was dismayed. He was, he was heartbroken. But here you have this beautiful picture that Jesus, he was the, one of the first people, the first person to hold the empty grave uh, clothes of, of Jesus. And then soon later, he would be holding Jesus himself, the risen king. As Jesus brought him back into a relationship with, uh, with him and restored that relationship. How many of you have ever had one of these growing up? There's an Etch-A-Sketch. And one thing I loved about this is... Um, you could make a mess, and I always made a mess on this thing. I could make a mean staircase, but everything else was a, was a mess. And I told the person to please make this into a, a mess. And the beautiful thing about an Etch-A-Sketch is no matter how bad you get it, all you have to do is just shake it. And it's all forgiven. And the same thing with Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ offers us a new beginning. And if we could bow our head and close our eyes... And maybe you're here today and you'd say, 
I need that new beginning that you're talking about. And maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. What better day? What better day than right now? The excuses go out the window. The the reception that, that He is offering you. The greatest gift you could ever receive. The gift of forgiveness of sins. The gift of of eternal life. The gift of heaven forever. Or maybe you're here today and you go, you know what? I need that new beginning. I know Jesus. But I really need that new beginning you're talking about. Maybe you just need a new relationship. Maybe you're not where you want to be with God. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe maybe you're just not as on fire as you once were in your life. There was a time you were closer with God than you are right now. And God is offering you this Easter, today, a new beginning, a fresh start, a clean slate. And maybe there's just something going on and maybe just again in a relationship, in a marriage, in a, in, a, in a dream, maybe in your job and you're just saying, you know what, I could use a new beginning. And if any of that's you, just between you and God, if you could just raise your hand between you and God, God sees those, God sees those hands, God sees those, God sees all those hands. So what we're going to do is we're just going to pray this prayer. And if you've, if you've never given your life to Christ or you just want to reaffirm that, and if everybody else could just help them along, if we could pray this prayer sincerely from our heart, out loud, Dear Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. I give my life to you. And I receive your eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. And God, I pray for every single person in here. Every person that needs that fresh start. Every single person that is, that is struggling in whatever way, Lord God. I thank you that, that there's always, for the Christian, there is always hope. That God, you always have, in the manure of life, you always have a resurrection on the other side. That you have something beautiful blooming right now. You, have, you are so far ahead of the game. And when it seems like we don't, you're not in the picture. It seems like even you're not in the picture in the world, God. That you have everything in control. And we know that you're going to win. And that you're winning right now. And God, we thank you that there's always hope with you. And so God, we thank you so much for Easter. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.